Hello, Cornerstone. Blessings to you on this Memorial Day weekend. So great to be with you. I hope you are all staying healthy. My family and I have been sick on and off the last few months. Not COVID, just straight up old fashioned colds. You guys remember those? But we did have COVID over Christmas last year. Michael and I, we have three boys and they are so big now, 14, 19, 22. And four out of five of us tested positive right before Christmas. So we had to cancel all of our holiday plans and isolated for two weeks in our not so big house. Everybody was super bummed, but to me, it was the best Christmas ever because I had my entire family together all to myself, trapped. They couldn't go out, they couldn't escape. It was fantastic. Every night I torture them, what board game shall we play tonight? Ha, 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 ha. Pretty sure my family did not enjoy it as much as I did. But if you have older kids, you may understand how impossible it is to get the whole family together in the same place. So it really was a blessing in disguise for me. Our family will probably never spend that much time together again, especially since our oldest son is graduating college and officially moving out. So it's a Christmas that I will cherish forever. And right after Christmas, I began an in-depth study of the book of Revelation, which has turned out to be another blessing in disguise. I wasn't super excited about it because I've found the book always confusing and ominous, but I really loved it. And I want to share a few thoughts about it today. The book was written by the Apostle John during his exile on the island of Padmas. Jesus gives John a prophetic vision on the final events of the world. And it was kind of surreal reading about wars and plagues in Revelation while reading about wars and plagues in our current headlines. It certainly feels like we're living in the end times, doesn't it? But if you ever get a chance to study Revelation, I encourage you to give it a try. I really learned a lot, and especially about God's character, which kind of surprised me. I didn't realize that he reveals so much of who he is in the book. In fact, there's quite a stark contrast between Jesus of the Gospels and Jesus in Revelation. When Jesus was on earth, he was still fully God, but packaged as a human, approachable, accessible. And when we think of him, we probably envision a gentle shepherd, a caring healer, a kind teacher. But the Jesus of Revelation is a fierce and powerful warrior. Check out how John describes him in chapter 19. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, when you think of Jesus, is this what you picture? Eyes like blazing fire, double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. He sounds like some crazy cosmic superhero. 
Imagine how John felt when he sees this version of Jesus. John was one of the disciples and knew him as a man who appeared so weak and broken on the cross. If I could put it this way, Jesus in the Gospels in the form of a man might be the best way for us to relate to him, but Revelation shows us the rest of him, the aspects that might be more difficult for us to understand, the ones that might even make us a little uncomfortable. Now, I'm not going to attempt to summarize the book of Revelation today, but I do want to highlight a few of God's attributes that really struck me his holiness, his power, and his justice. And my goal is to maybe expand the picture just a little of how you see him. At the beginning of the book, John is invited to come into heaven, into the dwelling place of the Lord who is seated on a dazzling throne, and his subjects are praising him. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The Lord is holy. What does it mean to be holy? Righteous, sinless, spiritually pure, untainted by evil. In other words, he's perfect. He cannot do wrong. In fact, he is so perfect that he cannot coexist with anything that is imperfect like us. And this is why Jesus died for us. Some people ask, well, if God is God, why couldn't he just wave his hand and make our sin go away? Why did he have to send his son to the cross? Because of his holiness, because of his holiness. And by definition, he cannot contradict himself and he does not change. Somebody once explained it to me with a little chemistry lesson. The element potassium explodes when exposed to oxygen. When chemists work with it in the lab, they have to keep it stored in mineral oil, which acts as a buffer between the potassium and the oxygen in the air. God is oxygen, we are potassium. We cannot be in his presence without Christ's blood. It's not God or the oxygen that changes its character, it's us whose spiritual chemistry is altered. Like the potassium with the help of the mineral oil, Christ's death and resurrection makes it possible for us to be reconciled with our holy, perfect God. And not only is he holy, the Lord is the almighty God. Bible scholars say the omnipotent God, which comes from the Latin words omni and potent, meaning all powerful. Nothing is impossible for him. There's nothing the Lord cannot do. No one can stop him. And he is in total, absolute control. He is also all knowing or omniscient. He knows everything there is to know. Past, present, future, he knows our thoughts. He can see into our hearts. He can see across space and time. And furthermore, he is omnipresent or all present. He is everywhere at all times and he is infinite with no beginning and no end. He was and is and is to come. There's this cool scene at the end of Revelation when the Lord's power is on full display. Spoiler alert, Satan recruits a giant army and marches across the earth to do battle with the Lord. But as soon as he's in position, God sends down fire from the sky and destroys him in one dramatic moment. It's almost comical because there is absolutely no contest. And Satan is thrown into the lake of fire forever. But here's the thing, a powerful, all-knowing, holy God 
could be quite dangerous, especially to us sinful humans. Studying this mighty God in Revelation made me feel really, really small and insignificant and unworthy. But the Lord is not only great, He is also good. He is loving and faithful and merciful, and this is why we can trust Him. If He were all-powerful but not good, He wouldn't be trustworthy. If He were good but with limited power, He would not be able to conquer evil. But He is both good and powerful. He has made a way for us to be saved, and He's the only one who can truly bring justice to the world. And this is the last attribute of God I want to highlight. The Lord is just. The Lord is just. When we hear about evil in the world or when somebody wrongs us, we want justice. But Jesus taught us to love our enemies and to leave judgment for God. And that's because he's the only one who has the right qualifications, the ultimate authority to judge. He can see into man's hearts we cannot. And by the way, I want to acknowledge that it might be hard to accept that a loving God would allow anyone to be eternally separated from Him, but we can't have it both ways. We can't demand justice on earth and then not expect it in eternity. But we can be assured that the Lord will judge justly. He will judge justly. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgments. Amen. It's a sobering thought, but the Lord will judge everyone on earth, and there are two possible outcomes. We will accept Jesus and be saved by His atoning death, or we won't. The choice is ours. The theologian R.C. Sproul puts it this way, the saved get mercy and the unsaved get justice. Nobody gets injustice. Now, I know I can't do justice, pardon the pun, to all these astounding aspects of the Lord in just 10 minutes, but I hope you're a little bit more in awe of our Lord and have a better appreciation for the fullness of His glory. He is more than worthy of our worship and trust. But the most mind-blowing thing to me is that this sovereign King of the universe wants an abiding relationship with you and me. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says to us, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. The fiery-eyed cosmic conqueror of death wants to be our friend. What an extraordinary and humbling invitation. We've been exploring this abide theme. What does abide mean to me? Well, first of all, it means accept the Lord's invitation. Say yes. Open the door of your heart and let him in. It's an offer we don't want to refuse. And whether you're just getting to know the Lord or if you've been walking with him for years, remember that God is the God in the relationship. He's God. We're not. Repeat after me. I'm not God. I know it sounds like a really obvious point, but we often have different ideas about who's in charge of our lives. We can have head knowledge that the Lord is sovereign and all those other amazing things we just talked about, but our attitudes and actions may not reflect it. When my son Bruno was four years old, we took a family trip to Colorado 
And it was really busy in the airport that day. Michael went outside to see about the rental car, and my job was to stay with Bruno and the luggage. When all of a sudden, Bruno yells, "Mom, don't move! Stay right here. I'll be right back. I'm gonna find Dad." And I was like, "No, no, 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 no! That is not safe. You need to stay here with me." And he yells back as he's running out the door, "Don't worry, Mom. No one's going to steal you." I guess he thought. He was in charge of me, and not the other way around. And this was not the first or last time we've had to put him back in his place to remind him that he is not the boss. But we're all guilty of this, right? I know I am. Sometimes we overinflate our capacities and position, and we think that we're in control and that we know what's best for us. It's easy to get self-absorbed with our lives and lose, tra- lose track. Of the Lord, we forget that He already has a plan and that He has the ultimate authority. Maybe we're allowing cultural norms to influence our thinking, or maybe we're hurting and confused about all the crazy things happening in our world, or maybe we even become angry at the Lord. If you're a loving God, how can you allow this or that? Or why aren't you answering my prayers? When we see our lives from only a human perspective. It's easy to get disoriented from the truth. It's like the Earth and the Sun. For thousands of years, humans were geocentric, believing that the Earth was in the center of the universe and that the Sun revolved around the Earth. But the opposite is true: the Earth revolves around the Sun. And in the same way, we sometimes have a geocentric view of ourselves, and we kind of expect the Lord to revolve around us. And we forget that He is still the rightful King of the universe, still trustworthy, and still in control. And if anything, we should be revolving around Him. You know, the sun is actually a really good metaphor for God. He is like the sun in so many ways, and I can't help but wonder if the Lord put it there in the sky to help us remember who He is. For example, they are both infinitely bigger than we are. The sun is a giant ball of burning gas and makes up 99% of the solar system. You can fit a million Earths into the sun, but imagine how much bigger and more powerful the creator of the sun must be. I heard this great joke recently. God is talking to a man. Man asks, "God, what is a million years like for you?" God says, "It's like a minute." Man says, "How about a million dollars?" God says, "It's like a penny." Man says, "God, can I have a penny?" It's hard to fathom, but good to remember that God is so much bigger than we are. Number two, they are both far away yet are life-giving. The sun is ninety-three million miles away, yet it gives us energy and warmth and life-sustaining nutrients. God also may seem far away, but loves us and wants to give us life through Jesus, both on earth and in heaven. Here's an interesting one: We can't look at either of them directly. We can't gaze directly into the sun without damaging our eyes. We have to wear sunglasses. And there are many examples of the old in the Old Testament,、uh, like Moses, who wanted to look directly at, at the Lord but couldn't because of God's holiness. Next, they both help us navigate. The sun is a physical light, helping us navigate east from west. God is a spiritual light, helping us navigate right from wrong. And finally, they are both 
constants. In the words of the great philosopher Orphan Annie, bet your bottom dollar that the sun will come out tomorrow. If you live in the Sunset District of San Francisco like I do, you may disagree with that statement because there are many days when the fog completely blots out the sun. But it's there. Every morning it rises, and this is the same for our Lord. It may feel like He has abandoned us when we're struggling, but He is always there. We can depend on Him to never change. He is like the rising sun in all its radiant glory an all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God who loves faithfully and judges justly, who is worthy to be at the center of our universe. If we want to develop a deep relationship with the Lord, we must orient our lives with the Lord at the center. At the center. I've been completely blind for many years, and when I move around, my physical orientation is so important. Which way am I facing? Even in my own house, if I'm off by just a few degrees, it's so easy to get turned around. Last fall, I was putting away some groceries and somehow I got disoriented and I shifted just enough in the wrong direction that when I bent down to pick up the milk, I slammed my mouth into the granite countertop and smashed my front tooth. And believe it or not, it wasn't the first time I've done this. My dentist was like, you're back. What did you do this time? I really like my dentist, so it was fun to catch up with him. But here's my point. The way we orient ourselves with respect to the Lord is crucial to how we experience Him. If we position Him as a genie, grant me these wishes, we will be disappointed. If we think of Him as someone we negotiate with, I'll do this if you give me that. Or maybe we just keep Him off to the side and consult Him only once in a while. But until we humble ourselves and put him at the center on the proper throne and say, Lord, I yield to you. May your will be done. I know it's perfect. Until then, things just won't make sense. We will lose our way just like I did with that kitchen counter. We put all sorts of things in the center of our lives, don't we? Our careers, our uh, kids, uh, material things, even good things can take our focus off the Lord. And at the end of the day, we can either be self-centered or God-centered. And we were created to be God-centered. Only when we live for the Lord will we be truly satisfied. Isaiah 47 tells us, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. We were made to live for God's glory and not our own. And we call this lordship. We live under the Lord's rule. It's more than just believing. The Bible tells us that even Satan and his angels believe in Jesus. Lordship is about being all in. It's about following him every day and obeying his word, telling others about him and building community with other believers, trusting him unequivocally, even through the hardest seasons, and loving him with all our heart mind, soul, and strength, allowing Him to change us, to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And we don't do all of these things perfectly overnight. Growing in the Lord is a lifelong, messy, but beautiful process. My message today is a simple one, guys. Let's put the Lord in the center of our lives where He belongs. 
And let's not forget what a privilege it is to be loved by a God like ours. If you have drifted out of orbit in your faith journey, maybe it's time to reorient yourself, to get back into the God-centered position. And if you're just getting to know the Lord, what a wonderful and worthwhile journey you have chosen. Before I close, I have three quick ideas on how to cultivate an abiding life with the Lord. And these are not exhaustive by any means, just a few practical things that I've been exploring in my own life that I wanted to share. Okay, the first one is worship the Lord in wonder. Worship the Lord in wonder. There's been a lot of research over the years about how gratitude drives happiness, but there's another idea emerging, and that's the benefits of seeking wonder. Scientists are discovering that slowing down and allowing ourselves to fully engage when we experience something awe-inspiring, particularly in nature, helps us to live happier and healthier lives. Yet another example of how science is finally catching up with God's wisdom. Because we were created to worship the Lord, and there's no one more wondrous than Him. My son was eating a grapefruit the other day, and he was commenting to me, this piece of fruit is just amazing, Mom. It comes in its own little package. You can carry it around. And when you're ready to eat it, you just peel it, and the fruit is so delicious. How can anyone insist that it appeared out of nothing? Surely there is a creator. And it reminded me of the verse in Romans, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God's fingerprints are all over creation and evidently on grapefruits. As Christ followers, we don't worship creation itself. We worship the Creator. But I think it's good advice to take in the world around us and to praise the Lord for it. It helps us cultivate a mindset of worship, whether it's a sunrise or a hike through the redwoods. Or for me, it could be a beautiful piece of music or a great cup of coffee. I'm so glad God created coffee, aren't you? Just take a worship moment and acknowledge him. Lord, you are amazing and full of wonder, and I worship you. The next idea I have is develop a trust reflex, a trust reflex. One of the biggest challenges of a life with the Lord is to stay steady in our faith through the ups and downs of life. The first thing they tell you in any emergency situation is not to panic. And the same goes for us when life throws a curveball. We don't have to panic. The Sovereign Lord already knows the outcome, and He's going to help us get through it. But it's easy to say, trust the Lord unequivocally, but much harder to put this into practice. So I think we all need kind of an emergency plan. You know how we are taught as kids that if our clothes catch on fire, what are we supposed to do? Stop, drop, and roll. Well. I have a little faith emergency procedure for you. Bring, cling, remember. Bring him all your worries and prayers. Cling to his promises. I highly recommend the book of Psalms during times of trouble. And remember how he brought you through the difficult times in the past. Bring, cling, remember. And the more we practice this, the stronger and more automatic our trust reflex becomes because our faith is growing. 
And finally, give God our best and not the leftovers. The Lord gave us his best, his only perfect son. Let's give him our best, not because he requires it, but because he deserves it. And for some of us, giving him our best might mean improving our attitude, cultivating a more grateful heart, complaining less, and thanking the Lord more. Or it might mean taking his commandments more seriously, leaning into obedience and not just picking and choosing which of Christ's teachings to apply to our lives. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Or maybe it means putting him first in line with our resources, our finances, and our time to step up in our giving and tithing or to help someone in need or to serve at church, even if it's inconvenient or costly to us. My husband told me recently that we should increase our giving this year. And I was like, I don't know if you've heard of this thing going on called inflation, but Michael reminded me that the Lord comes first, regardless of the economy, and he's right. Let's talk about quiet times for a minute. A quiet time is when we set aside, well, <laughs> a quiet time to spend with the Lord, ideally every day, talking and praying to him and reading his word. And no matter how long you've been following the Lord, it's one of the single most effective things you can adopt in your life to build a deeper relationship with the Lord. But life is busy. It's hard to put time aside. Maybe we squeeze it in after everything else on the to-do list, or maybe we're multitasking during our quiet times. And there's nothing wrong with being efficient, but God deserves our undivided attention. And it's so easy to get distracted. So be intentional, put some thought into creating a sacred time and place to spend with the Lord. I admitted to a friend that I was having trouble being consistent with my quiet times, and she replied that it wasn't hard for her at all because she just pictures the Lord waiting for her every morning at her kitchen table. And I just love that. You know why? Because it's true. The Lord is always patiently and eagerly waiting for us. And if I think about that for just a moment, that the king of the universe wants to spend time with little old me, it just makes me want to run to him. As we close, the band is going to do a song. It's called Rising Sun, and my son Bruno requested it. It's what planted the seed for this message. It's one of his favorite worship songs. This is the same kid who ditched me in the airport all those years ago. May it be an encouragement to us to never ditch our Lord, but to draw closer to him, to place him at the center where he belongs. Let's play. Almighty God, you are truly the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You created us, you loved us, and refused to let us go our own way. We invite you to be at the center of our lives. Transform us into the likeness of your warrior son, Jesus, our Redeemer and Savior, who stepped out of heaven and died for us, our rising son, Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Blessings to you.
love child of God let us lift up our praise to him we were born to praise God he's greater even than the rising sun he is the risen sun who invites us into a relationship with himself how good is that how good is God he's so good he's so God and he loves you and he loves me you know if you've never if you, yeah he does I would remind myself of that and if you've never actually given your heart to Jesus if you've never opened up your heart to him to do, do so now Just say Lord I want you to be my Savior my Lord and uh, I want you to transform my life if you want to be baptized and you haven't been baptized we'd love to help you do that as well just let us know maybe some of you this is your time to come home 
you were drifting, you've been drifting, you've been looking for love in the wrong places, come back to Jesus. This is your time. So wherever we are, I know the Lord is wanting to do something in our lives. He wants us to abide in His love. He wants us to build our life around Him, with Him at the center. That's what we learned today. So may you go in His love, and may He keep you in every way, in your spirit, in your soul, in your mind, yeah, and in your body as well. In Jesus' name.